Before I start this week's special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, where we look at the recently published National Audit Office report tackling fraud and corruption against government. To be truth, it's been, truthful, it's been out for a while, this, but I've been sitting on it because I haven't had time to look at it until recently. Anyway, the report is a broad-ranging one which seeks to make plain the scale of the losses caused to the public purse by fraud and corruption. In some eye-watering commentary on the increase in scale over recent years, the plan makes recommendations to prevent problems on such a dramatic scale as presented in the report. So, where to start with the report? Well, I suppose it's best to start with the statistics which take a prominent place within it. According to accounts published by the government, the estimated scale of fraud in 2018-19 to and 2019-20 to totaled £5.5 billion. While this is a staggering statistic in itself, and to put it in context, would pay the basic salary of 187,176 junior doctors, that is, at least according to data on the British Medical Association website, this is nothing compared to the estimate for 2020-21 and 21-22, where it had risen to £21 billion. Now, anyone who has listened to this podcast at all over the last 12 months will be unsurprised to learn that of that £21 billion, £7.3 billion can be attributed to losses from temporary COVID-19 schemes. However, stripping out the pandemic fraud... Losses still increased in the period measured by the accounts almost two and a half times. This is worrying for every person who pays taxes in the United Kingdom, but there are other aspects of the report which generate equal concern. Now, the pandemic has, to a degree, given the government a little bit of breathing space in seeking to explain away some of the losses caused by fraud and corruption highlighted in the report. Consistent in this scheme, uh, this theme, is the speed needed to respond to the pandemic. The speed needed on the part of the relevant government departments, as well as high demand, not only in the UK, but also globally, for those things that might have been necessary to combat the pandemic, meant that there was a higher than usual level of fraud risk associated with the transactions. However, the need for speed does not wholly excuse it. The government has proposed a new failure to prevent fraud offence to be inserted into the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill, and which is currently going through Parliament. I suspect that, though the detail is limited on the extent of the offence, the need for speed in a transaction concerning a large organisation is not likely to forgive them the offence. The risk of fraud can always be managed, and the National Audit Office in this report makes clear, and I quote, 
Our previous reports have identified several ways in which public bodies could have better managed the fraud risk without impairing the emergency response, including faster transparency, better management of conflicts of interest, addressing known vulnerabilities sooner, and timely financial reporting. It seems from the report that the government abandoned even perfunctory levels of oversight out of panic. This is no way to run government and no way to use taxpayers' money, for which they have a special level of responsibility. That being said, the government does seem to be raising its awareness of the risks to government from fraud, as the report recognises through the establishment of the Government Counter-Fraud Function, the GCFF, to provide a structure for those working in counter-fraud, the Government Counter-Fraud Profession, the GCFP, with membership across the public sector, and the Public Sector Fraud Authority, the PSFA, to provide a more coordinated fraud response throughout government departments. The work of these bodies will be crucial in broadening understanding across government departments of the scale of the problem, because the problem is not widely understood across all departments universally. As the report provides, HMRC, which is His Majesty's Revenue and Customs, and the DWP, which is the Department for Work and Pensions, have developed sophisticated measurements of the level of fraud using sampling and estimation techniques that they estimate between them cost approximately £22 million each year in staff time. The NHS Counter Fraud Authority, the NHS CFA, and the Ministry of Defence, the MOD, provide annual estimates that combine some limited measurement of fraud with benchmarking. These produce estimates with a lower level of confidence. Elsewhere, only half of other central government bodies report that they had conducted any FMA, that's Fraud Measurement and Assurance Measurement, exercise for specific spending areas since 2014, and the GCFF, which of course, just to remind you, is the government's counter-fraud function, the GCFF rated just over half of those exercises as unreliable. Most of the largest spending areas with the potential for fraud and corruption risks have not been formally assessed for the risk of fraud and corruption. Applying similar standards across departments is crucial since fraudsters always find a way. By understanding where the best defences are in government departments, fraudsters can focus on the least well defended. Fraudsters are nothing if not agile, able to respond to opportunities where presented, as the COVID-19 pandemic demonstrated more strikingly than perhaps ever before. Add to this that government has lacked capacity to adapt to new and unknown risks, and we have a perfect scenario. Perfect, that is, for fraudsters. Now, before we look at what the report says the government can do to improve things, it is worth saying a few things about the Public Sector Fraud Authority, the PSFA. The PSFA acts as its centre of expertise for the management of fraud against the public sector, uh, leads the GCFF and the GCFP, and reports both to the Treasury and the Cabinet Office. It was established in response to the perceived lack of coordination in the government's response to pandemic fraud. The PSFA paints a rather gloomier picture of the scale of fraud against the public purse, suggesting the level to be anywhere this is quite staggering, anywhere between 33.2 billion and 58.8 billion across 
all government departments in 2020 to 2021. This estimate range covers both fraud and error, which perhaps accounts for some of the inflated levels. The report does suggest that combining the two may obscure the problem and, I might suggest, result in misallocation of resources without a clearer understanding of the source of the losses. So, what can the government and various departments do? The report makes nine recommendations. First, demonstrate best practice financial control and transparency. Secondly, act as one government in tackling fraud. Too frequently, the report highlighted the fragmented approach to combating fraud and corruption across government departments, with some making a more concerted effort given the higher risks associated with those departments. And of course, the examples given in the report I've already mentioned of HMRC, His Majesty's Revenue and Customs and the Department of Work and Pensions. Thirdly, set an anti-fraud and corruption culture. It will be common for anyone who works in financial services to understand the importance of the tone set from the top of an organisation. That good behaviour in practice cascades through an organisation setting the tone overall. This is something which might be more challenging to implement at the moment than it might seem to be. Fourthly, develop robust assessments of the level of fraud and corruption, and especially by segregating those assessments, not lumping corruption under the fraud umbrella. Different wrongs need different responses, and understanding the scale of the problem generated by specific wrongs allows targeted allocation of, of resources and a better understanding of risk. The fifth recommendation is to embrace a preventative approach tailored to the risks of each area, while allied to this, it might be argued, is the sixth, namely the development of the counter-fraud and corruption profession. I know there is a paper on this produced by the government, but there's already a high level of expertise in this area, nationally as well as globally, into which the government might be able to tap, provided it is willing to pay the right sort of money to get the right sort of person. The seventh, eighth and ninth are recurring themes of combating financial crime and which have become a prominent focus in recent papers published in the UK and abroad. They are, respectively, to harness and use data to prevent fraud and corruption, to design out fraud and corruption from new initiatives and systems, and to use investigative powers and capabilities as an effective preventative deterrent. The report does paint a little gloomy picture, and I suppose since I like gloom, I've emphasised those parts. However, there are streams of light, like Jacob's Ladder, appearing through the gloom, and whether these streams become broader to, to disinfect the losses caused by fraud and corruption to public finances, only future reports will demonstrate. That's it for this week's special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. Back on Sunday with the usual weekly and then again on Monday with another smash special, smash special, special, you lucky people. Thanks very much, everyone. <laughs>